afternoon, Chris. I know it's morning in US now for you. Welcome, Chris Sportman, to our next episode, our podcast. Be happy, healthy, and wealthy. Thank you for giving uh, my audience and myself your generous time, Chris. I know you're a busy man. Uh, we were trying to schedule this few times and you were having lots of meeting and I'm glad that I managed to catch up with you. Well, I'm happy so, to be here. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, yes, uh, obviously this episode is on music and uh, healing mental health, especially post-traumatic stress disorder. Is that right, Chris? Uh, that's the main focus. The main focus is to generate awareness of trauma and PTSD, how it affects the body, how it has long-term lasting effects, and that most people are unaware that they have symptoms. Yes, of and so, course. So this, this whole, whole concept of mine is to use music as a, a way of generating uh, awareness for both the sufferer and their family members. Yes, of as, course. Yeah. As, as well as offer a an experiential uh, learning method that is not text or traditional classroom-based instruction that anybody can use to mm. to alleviate the onset of, of symptoms of anxiety or depression. Mm. Right. So, Chris, uh, can you tell my audience a bit more about yourself? You know, like, for example... Sure. Sure. Happy to. currently doing, you know, all your... Big, big accomplishment, which I've obviously uh, seen. And I really, you know, uh, glad that you have given us this time today. Well, you know, someone once said to me, you didn't choose music, music chose you. And the story actually begins with a family myth where I was three years old, and this was in the 50s, and my brother was five. And at the time, he had chronic tonsillitis, and it, it was very popular to remove the tonsils at that time to treat chronic tonsillitis. My parents decided to have have my tonsils out, which were normal mm. at the same time, a twofer, which I've never really got a straight answer as to why, but but that's what they chose to do. And the surgeon discovered that my adenoids were growing abnormally into my inner ear. Mm. And he came out and told my my parents that had they not brought me in for the tonsillectomy, the adenoids would have choked off my inner ear and I would have been totally deaf by the time I was six or seven years old. Oh, wow. And then they asked me what I wanted for my fourth birthday. And I told them I wanted a piano. Now, my dad was a rocket scientist. There was no music in the house and no examples. And I told them I wanted a piano. They rented a piano and came and I start, sat down and started playing by ear the day the piano arrived wow. at four years old. Started taking piano lessons, but the piano teacher quit because I hadn't started school yet and I didn't know how to read. So piano lessons were kind of a waste of time. So that's kind of the, the beginning of the story. And music has been such a huge part of my being. Mm. I, I realized that over time that I could not destroy it, ignore it. All I, all I could do was, was accept it and go with where it led me. 
And that that turned into a career in music, which began in 1968. Mm. As a 14-year-old, I started playing school dances that progressed to, to learning about jazz and writing for the junior college jazz band. I ended up deciding I wanted to write music for television and, wow. and met, uh, met a guy who became my mentor. And we ended up uh, becoming a partner, partnership. We worked together for the next 15 years wow. doing musical variety TV, working with iconic entertainers like Shirley MacLaine and Julie Andrews and Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney. And it's a list, you know, I ended up being drug along with all of his clients. So over the next 30 some years, I ended up doing, working on more than 140 feature films, um, TV shows, worked with with recording artists like uh, Barbara Streisand and Josh Groban and Michael Buble and, you know, all the rest. And and that was kind of like my background in the music business. But one of the really ironic things about where I sit in human history is I started my career basically at the same time the Apple One was introduced. And so I've had six, seven, maybe eight different job titles mm. through, through the years because I had to adapt to the cha- disruptive changes that technology brought to the entertainment industry. Of course. So so that has enabled me to say, well, I can manifest something in the world because I have all the skills of you know, making left turns, of changing my direction rather than being locked into a, a corporate job or a single career. Mm. Uh, that led to getting interested in technology after 9-11. Oh, because- because I could see that that my value was tied to the 20th century and that we would experience, looking forward, we would experience a cultural shift mm. as opposed to at the time people in Hollywood were, were thinking that, that uh, the internet was just another screen to monetize and they didn't really understand the cataclysmic shift that was going to happen. So I got interested in technology. I worked for a friend startup as a uh, building websites, landing pages, writing page copy, uh, wow. producing uh, FAQs, writing tutorial documents, you know, teaching social media skills to to uh, uh, beta clients. And this is in 2010, so it was right at the beginning wow. of social media. And then out of out of just out of the blue, I I was asked to join the faculty at the University of Miami and run their commercial music program. Ironically, at the time, uh, I had I left college to go on the road and become a professional musician. So I didn't have a degree, but here I was being asked to teach graduate school, which is just kind of odd. But I took the job and I ended up more out of an obligation to, to repay the generosity of of those who had given to me so freely as a young man mm. in this business, and and that kind of that's my background. I'm I'm a I've got a lot of energy, of creative uh, curiosity, if you will, 
that always looking for new new things to learn, new mm. things to do, and and it's just a it's just a muscle that I like to keep keep exercising. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, you've been obviously keeping that creative juice going. That's right. I well, like I said, it kind of boils down to I've gotten into serious trouble in my life when I haven't honored that ability. So, so it's, it's like, okay, I'll just, I just got to ride it out. I have to go with it and see where it leads as opposed to letting uh, uh, insecurity or fear uh, dictate my choices. You know, I'd much rather, I would much rather attempt something that I believed in and fail or not succeed, maybe is a better term, Mm. than, than be afraid to be to, to do it in the first place for rejection or or whatever the issue is yeah and i'm stubborn enough to say yeah i can know how to do this i mean for <laughs> i i used to i used to uh uh think my middle name was sisyphus so mm-hmm. so you know always always looking for new challenges always Challenge. looking for new, new new rocks to push up the hill Yes, new challenges to I, I can see that you are on another challenge, yeah? Yes. Um so I I got to know you when I was reading a post and you were supporting and you were mentioning about uh your own healing journey. Yeah. Um so you know, I've had a history of depression. And I had a highly dysfunctional childhood, which created all sorts of issues for me to deal with in my life. And sadly enough, in the midst of a contract negotiation with a former boss, uh, he exploded in a narcissistic rage focused on me. It, he was four or five feet away from him and and his the blood drained out of his face. His facial muscles went taut and his eyes went black. And so terrorizing was that experience that to this day, I believe if he had a weapon, I could be dead. And so I turned around, walked out of his office and had to stay in the job for another year for a variety of reasons. Um, and and I started to research about what is narcissistic rage, and what I dis- what I discovered through my own analysis is that I pierced the veil. Mm. Nar- narcissists have uh, they are very charming mm. and manipulative, and they will put forward a facade mm. to hide the fact that they're really the man in the empty suit. There's nothing on the inside. And and so I think that's what precipitated this event. And I discovered um, I was unaware of how seriously this had affected me, this traumatic experience, until about nine months later, I opened up my email and there was a message from his office and it sent me into a panic attack. Where I was wow. holding my holding my head in my hands, trying to calm myself down and figure out what in the world was going on. At the same time, I heard my wife on the phone in the other room, and I knew that there was something seriously wrong. Mm. And so, so I put my computer down and walked out into the the kitchen to to see what was going on. And she told me that she was on the phone with her brother and that her 
his stepson, 19-year-old stepson had committed suicide the night before. And what was so shocking to me was I was convinced it was an at-risk nephew who was drinking and drugging. And I, and it was not him. It was the straight arrow nephew who mm. died. Oh. And, and the I, it was so shocking to me that for the life of me, I was arguing like, no, 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 it's not him. It's the other, it's the other nephew. Mm. Then I realized that there's a, I, there's something going on in me very serious that I could not make that connection. Mm. And that led me to, to trying to understand what PTSD is all about. And it's been a long journey, but there's, it's, it's the missing link project, which we talk about in a minute is, is a ref, is a outgrowth of me deciding that I could use my musical storytelling skills mm. to express the often hidden emotional lives of trauma and PTSD sufferers and give them a voice yeah. as well as create awareness mm. of the issue and give a voice to the family members who are ignored. You know, mm. we, you know, I, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but at least in the U S you know, we tend to focus on victims and survivors. Mm. Rarely do we ever do I ever hear any news accounts or people talking about the effects on the families. Yeah. Other than just a soundbite. Yes. And and what I discovered about PTSD is that it never goes away. It's it's with you for the rest of your life, mm. and the best that you can hope for is that it is removed from the present day as i discovered in emdr therapy that normally memories are tucked away and and in in the brain and with ptsd the trauma is in the frontal lobe so that it it, it just becomes when it when a trigger activates that memory mm. or that situation the trauma becomes present tense as yeah, opposed really to being in the, in the past tense. Mm -hmm. So this whole notion of what I'm, what I'm attempting to do here is number one, number one, create more awareness and understanding of what the issues really are for people mm -hmm. who are either afraid to talk about it or don't want to talk about it or completely uh, blissfully ignorant of the long-term effects of trauma. Mm -hmm. And give people, especially teens in this country, believe it or not, 20% of Americans are suffering from mental illness today. That's 66 million people. Wow. And, and you know, I was a very hands-on dad. And so I have, and I loved being a dad and I'm a protector of people's dignity. Yeah. So, so I, when I discovered two things, that teen suicide is the second leading cause of death mm. in America of teenagers. And that hundreds of suicidal teens spend the night in the emergency room because they have no place else to go. And further investigation, I found out that mental health treatment is either inaccessible or unavailable to the vast majority of the people in this country. Oh. So, so you know, 
being the creative guy that I am, mm. I said, well, this is a problem that I know a whole lot about from my own experience, plus what I've, I've learned. Mm. And what can I do that would satisfy my creative curiosity to be able to, to help the situation? Mm. Because it, it, like I say, in this country, teens are given, are, they've got the short end of the stick. Mm. They have no place to go. Yes. And so so I realized that that if I could create a methodology yes. that would personalize the experience to each individual, mm. it would be more relevant to their their situation of course. without having to be prescriptive in nature about this. And how music plays into this is, you know, mindfulness is very popular these days. Yes. But but there's a cultural gap in a large part of America between between the origins of mindfulness, which come from an Asian culture, mm. by and large, and the culture that teens and their families live in in America. They're juxtaposed in terms mm. of their orientation. Yes, yes. So, so I figured, well, now that when I discovered that that this is something that I'd learned anecdotally in practice for years. It's in my job as a film composer was to use music to manipulate people's emotional response. Mm. That's that was that was my job. Oh and, wow. and and I was told early on by a director I worked with that if you want to create tension, pick a tempo that's faster than the human heart rate at rest. And your and basically what he was telling me anecdotally was that your body will try to match um, that tempo. Yeah. And so okay. then your then then your so then your 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 body functions will adapt to what you're hearing. Yeah. When I just when I discovered that that you could that there was data to support this. I realized that now I'm talking about parameters and criteria of what mm. kind of music to listen to to create a different physiological response. Of course, yeah. Right? So so that kind of connected the dots for me to say, well, if I can teach people what those what that criteria is and then point them to, to music that that uh, uh, elicits a positive memory. Now, what we're doing is ganging up mm. against the fight-flight response. Yes. In, internally, in our brain function, which we have no conscious control over. Yes, yes, that's right. 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 So, so that's kind of like the basis of, the, of this. Then I've also learned the the power of of breath control as mm -hmm. taught in yoga exercises That's right. to be able to control or at least affect respiration which will further uh, uh impact the fight flight response by yeah. getting into a more normal breathing rhythm as, as opposed to holding your breath or breathing shallow or whatever the you know that fight flight response Dictates. dictates so yeah. you combine you, you combine those two forces along with some sort of ritualistic movement yes like a pre-shot routine in athletics oh yeah, yeah, yeah right you mm -hmm. combine all these elements together 
And now to me, that's about the best that you can do as a conscious individual to be able to counteract organically the human body's response to a traumatic uh, uh, incident. Yes, so yes. That, that's basically where I'm at at the moment. And as a business, that's a different conversation. That's the nuts and bolts of what what I'm trying to accomplish here is yeah. to give a self a a methodology that someone can customize to their own experience mm. that will person that is available 24 mm. seven in, in a short three to five minute exercise. Oh wow! Is this, that, is this what you're doing with Missing Link? Yes, that's exactly what this is about. Okay, so uh, yeah, because I was uh, checking out your website. And uh, obviously, I could see some of the work you've done, you know, some of the video recording with the musics. So you actually would do some uh, workshop. Is that what you're saying? Well, it's in two different parts. I mean, you know, from a business perspective, you know, my expertise is writing orchestral music. And yes, yes, so, so when I left this last job in 2018, I asked myself, how do I want to spend my time? What's important to me? And I realized that, well, you know, one of my great, you know, attributes is writing orchestral music. Mm. And I'm kind of tired of staring at a computer screen all day. Mm. So, so let's try to create something to where I get to work with and, and engage with live musicians. Yeah, yeah. As, as opposed to staring at a box and doing it all myself. Yes, so, yes. So that was like the the basis of this. And so what the, the original thought was, I'm going to go tour a show about PTSD in concert halls. In oh. conversations with with the CEO of uh, Symphony, who's a friend of mine, he suggested an outreach program. And then oh. I realized that I could leverage existing community engagement education networks of symphonies to be able to push a program like I just described into schools. Yes, of course. As as a way of of introducing teachers and students and parents how to self-manage these symptoms. The methodology you've just mentioned. Right. Uh, and give them the opportunity to participate in the concert experience. Uh. So so with the basic goal being you know what I learned early on as a teacher was today's students live in a completely different world. And it's all focused on their mobile device in front of their mm -hmm. face. And the other thing that, that occurred to me after I tried to lecture for a few months was they're always on their, on their devices. And so I had to come up with a different way to reach them rather than a, a traditional lecturer kind of role. Why? And that, and and what I you know what I discovered is they basically outsource their memory. Mm, okay. They don't okay. see the same need to memorize dates and places and facts and figures. Oh and, yeah, they outsource. I I understand what you mean. They outsource there. Yeah, they don't keep all this memory inside they, there. They it's don't. They don't see a need. It's it's online. I can find it whenever I need it. Why do I need to spend that kind of energy to remember? So. So that's a, a massive shift in uh, the way that we learn and mm. what's important to this other, to this, you know, your kids, uh, my grandkids, they're going to learn in a completely different fashion. 
And so to reach them, I had to create a way of a manner of teaching that was relevant to their experience to have it make sense to them. Of course. Because, because they were rejecting the standard lecturer approach because it didn't mm. fit within the world that they lived. Mm. Okay. So, so that's basically the whole notion of how do I focus on local cities and, and communities ah, okay. to, to create a, a connection in a community. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was I, I, actually, I'm glad that you actually explained that. Remember some of the things I was just wondering, uh, obviously you were focusing on the orchestral music. So I was just thinking, oh, now not many people would like, because not, you know, your general. Of it's, it's, sure. It's not your, it's as, not as, as popular. Know, but but yes. not not everybody's cup of tea is sure um, and uh, classical music. That's why, as you know, some of the youngsters they quite like jazzy song or hip hop or heavy metal. Sure. And are you so in the way you describe? You are actually talking about a different methodology, isn't it? You're actually teaching them to create things for themselves. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Correct. If they know what the parameters are to to create a specific response, i.e., tempo and frequency, then and the the memory aspect of it, then they can customize music to their own needs. Whatever genre that they like, whatever. That's type exactly right. It's not tied to a genre. I just happen to be attached to orchestral music because I've spent my life doing that. Yeah. So they now, can just. This, change the tempo and they can change the style of the music you know i mean my original thought which is a little out in the future was to to uh include an artificially artificial intelligence engine mm. that would would operate on queries because the fact of, is that popular music is tied to coming of age so so whatever music that is popular, at least in this country, whatever music is popular from the age of 13 to 18 mm. will have a special resonance in for the rest of your life. Of course. Because in in the, what the, the what happens in the brain is that piece of music music, whatever it may be gets attached to those intense emotional responses that are are experienced when you come of age, when you're 13, 14, 15 years old, mm. so, right? So my original thought was to say, if I could find an AI engine that, that had query fields based on date of birth, genre of music you like, and what is what was... Uh, most popular at that time yeah. then then a user could then self-select music that had the most meaning to them without mm. necessarily having to be consciously aware of that piece of music because yeah. they would see a title they would hear a song and then it, it, it would uh, uh, resonate with them almost organically and they wouldn't know what oh i remember that song and that song where they may not have consciously made that connection but that's off in the future. Who knows if that'll ever, ever Okay. Run. That's really interesting, isn't it? The way you've kind of, uh, it's it's like a whole new world, really. Um, because obviously when I go into my meditation or 
you know, whatever music for me to either affirm myself or strengthen my belief or, you know, quieten myself, then I obviously use my own playlist, you know. Sure. To calm myself down. But now your system is more of they themselves creating whatever song that they liked and they can actually do that themselves. That's that's the whole notion of it because then it becomes relevant to the individual. Yeah, because it will be uh, their own their own mark. It'll be of their it'll, it will yeah it'll be of their own choice. Yeah, it'll be their own creation, and they will attach their own. Uh, uh, the it will be significant for them in a way that a prescriptive methodology. Yes, I completely you know agree with what you're saying because everyone is different you know not one methods fit into you know everybody has to follow the same style so it's individualized and it's actually like what you say it's you know prescriptive to that particular person and actually that would be uh, a lot more unique well you know hopefully yes go ahead i'll let you say no 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 i'm i'm just um just going to agree with you and and just the the kind of change the thought just slightly is the pandemic has created has isolated us in ways that that uh we have never been able or been taught how to cope with mm. Right. So this isolation, you know, a lot of a lot of boomers like myself, I talk, you know, I get into these discussions and they say, well, why can't the kids work longer hours or or do this or do that? And I just have to remind them that they have more to cope with than anyone in human history. And so so you, you got to give them some skin for surviving through all of this stuff. Yeah. So you know, the, the tail end of this whole thought process for me is to, to, and through my own experience, is to survive as a species, mm. we have to remain connected to one another. Of course, yeah, definitely. And politically, we're in a state of being, you know, this is like gets into a whole other little uh, discussion, but relevant is in my epiphany about how the world was going to change back in the early 2000s. Yeah. What I could see happening was we are going to reach an inflection point where everything that came before is no longer relevant to what's going to happen in the future. I know, yeah. That's what I felt as well. And it's terrifying Mm. because of the uncertainty and the rate of change. Mm. And so people will behave badly. They will behave out of fear as opposed to uh, altruistic uh, uh, goals or, or uh, wishes. And and I'm always a, very much an optimist. Mm. So so I tend to look at the cup half full. There is there is a, a some some people say depressing book called Homo Deus by Yuval Harari. Mm. where he describes the future of mankind mm. as saying we will expand life uh, expand the lifespan of humans by 50 years in the 21st century mm. but we will become cyborgs as a result yeah. <laughs> having you know nanobots in our body monitoring uh, you know, our health per, our, our bodies right yeah, so yeah. 
So that led me to the thought that, well, for, for thousands of years, story and music has been used to communicate between yeah. individuals. So then the question arises, what, what will the role of art be? Visual art, musical art, literature I, I in the future. Think, yeah, I still think that the arts, uh, music, story will still be really relevant to us because I think it's integral to part of us being human. Yo, that's exactly that's exactly right. My my thought is we have probably the first time in human history mm. we have the opportunity to define what humanism will be. Yeah, we, we are we, at this it, beginning. Yeah, it is a choice to make as mm. opposed to 20 years ago 30 years ago where we followed along with technological development yeah and we we kind of trailed after where tech was leading us now, now we're at finding it, it it is a different thing you know it's like there's there's a lot of chatter about the ethics of ai yeah i know yeah so now and, looking at uh, all this and and what we call unfolding before us i can see that um, i mean those people in control actually they have the choice in putting this forward in the technology that they are building correct so correct. i i still think that from what you know the human studies and human sciences as well you know the emotional um um connection with the mental health the inner part of us that is not just physical you know, like the soul, Correct. mind, the spirit, you know, which parts that we can't see. And technology obviously will, you know, build things on the physical side, the knowledge side. But actually anything involving the um, uh, emotional, the mind, um, you know, that connection, I feel that uh, it will still be part of us, you know, as human. Because yes, I, yeah, I agree. I agree. It's it's there seems to be in the last year, year and a half, a convergence and a and a, a growing popularity and interest in making those connections. Yes, you know, yes. The, the, you know, it, you know, I can't speak to healthcare. In the UK or uh, other than the you know healthcare other than the US, but it's sad to say that American healthcare, at least from what I've experienced and learned, is more about keeping people sick and treating symptoms rather than making people well. And so there's there's a seems to be a shift towards wellness mm. as opposed to being a mechanic of the human body. Disease driven. Yeah. So, so I think I think that I kind of agree with you where you know a lot of people are focusing on disease-centered treatment, you know. But I I prefer to you know to work on well-being where preventative and actually uh promoting you know, uh, improvement in well-being and health through lifestyle, you know, diet, you know, mental health, uh, well-being. All these are actually more important than just treating the disease itself because, yeah, it, I mean, what we're trying to do is before they become disease, be, 
for me, my understanding of disease is actually disease. You know, Correct. when the body is in disease, that's how you get disease. You see. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Do so, so you think that's from your your Asian heritage? Because that's uh, much, I think it's much a more of a You know, yeah. I'm exploring. I'm. I mean, I'm Western. Um, Western medicine kind of. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, but there's no background. But I'm just a curious. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree with you because with the mindfulness, I'm exploring a lot more complementary health sites. Um, you know, like uh, yoga. You know, um, acupuncture, nutrition. A lot of the herbal, Ayurvedic, all those different things have their own role. You know, they they are quite you know multifaceted and really qu quite interesting. I'm actually been uh, doing a lot of research and uh, reading about them, and that's why right. my my podcast is actually focusing a lot more on that rather than the normal conventional ways. You know, sure. sure. So that's you why know, your your story about using music to. Uh, heal PTSD it's uh it was really kind of like wow that's really interesting and then that's why I was like Chris I would like you to come on my podcast well I I appreciate being here because you and, know it's 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 when you know as during my research I've read a lot of books I've read a lot of papers um of, uh, about PTSD and brain function I mean if I were a younger guy I'd probably go back to school and study neurology but but the there's it seems to me that the common practice of psychopharmacology is to treat symptoms. And as I learned more about neuroplasticity, yes, that it's not a one and done solution. It's constantly changing. So if you go down that route, of of taking a medication to alter your brain chemistry, it's only a matter of time before your brain adapts to it. Yes. And so so it's in in essence you're trying to hit a moving target. Yeah, it's always moving because your body will actually create tolerance and the numbers changes, Correct. and uh, your body get used to it. So and I actually wanted to catch on to what you mentioned about neuroplasticity. That's really. Sure. Uh, Sweet to my ears because <laughs> I I completely uh, agree with this and I've been reading a lot on neuroplasticity as well because our brain is so flexible and we we changes and and that's why when people are in PTSD they get stuck yeah they're actually in this uh you know fix or uh harm situation where they're actually replaying the same stuff. Right. Rather than keeping uh, themselves improving by finding ways, they're right. actually playing the same trauma through, you know, whatever images. And uh, so the neurotransmitters are firing up all the time when they're seeing the, the images that they're seeing. So the yeah. way you can interfere and intervene either music or uh, memory images, uh, therapy, and when you can do that or replacing or uh, what we call emotional change to that memory, it will actually help in uh, changing the neurotransmitters in the brain. Well, that's what my research suggests. Oh, tell me a bit more about it. Well, no, I mean, just just the, the fact that that's why I'm so anxious to get this beta test out the door. Uh, is is that that 
our brains are constantly, this is what I've learned anyway. Our brain is constantly scanning and aware of our surroundings to be able to determine if we are under threat or if we are safe. Mm. And with the auditory portion of your brain, your brain will fill in gaps that the, that it doesn't actually hear or record. Mm. Uh, same as with like one of the, my famous uh, favorite examples is the paragraph of words with jumbled letters, but the first letter and the last letter of each word is accurate. Mm. And your brain will enable you to be able to read it, even though it looks like gobbledygook, right? Because your brain is firing almost instantaneously to be able to fill in those gaps. Mm. So, so, you know, that combined with the, the data that supports if you're playing a song like a, a meditation music from an Asian culture, that mm. it's at a slow tempo that mm. has a specific frequency that they're operating in. If you combine that with the knowledge of how these functions operate, mm. you, you know, it seems pretty logical to me that that you for some people, maybe not everybody, but for some people, you will be able to interfere and interrupt those synapses, those neurotransmitters that are operating to to uh, uh, to determine whether or not you're under uh, at risk or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the whole concept behind this thing is to say, is to say, oh, I, I feel like I'm I'm getting nervous because I feel like I'm under threat and I'm breathing shallow and and my brain is going a thousand miles an hour and says, so, oh, I can go, listen to the song and do this this exercise at will from my device by my choosing that's yeah. relevant to me to be able to interrupt that that uh, instinctual response that is either abnormal in the yeah. terms of PTSD or in uh, or anxiety or anything else. Now, this is not a medical treatment. Mm. I don't profess to be a, a medical doctor. Mm. So there's a there is a big disclaimer that has to go out to saying this may or may not work for you. Yeah. And don't confuse this with a medical treatment. But give it a try. I always put some disclaimer out there as well. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, last thing I want to do is be held responsible by somebody who doesn't understand or or in in essence is managing expectations. Yeah, I know what you mean. This is like complimentary. This is like help aid, you know, um, things to to kind of help, um, you know, and they they probably going to need to check with their doctors about it. Of course, of course. But in the meantime, if you are feeling suicidal, yeah, or or you are or so angry and out of control because of the reaction. I mean, this is what happens to me. Is I've learned that with certain triggers, yeah, I can become enraged. Yes, yeah. and and it's almost it's it's it's, it's a a reflex reaction. Wow. So so it's it's and I re, you know I know that this is a problem. I know mm-hmm. that this is not healthy. Yeah. But and some people 
at least in America, you know, that there's been more mass shootings this year oh, than days. That's scary. It's because, yeah, well, of course it's scary. I mean, so it's, 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 it's out of control mm. and people are looking for a solution. And, you know, I mean, I mean, I've had a blessed life. Let's, mm. let's just be honest. It's, it's, I've worked hard and I'm dedicated but by the same token, the the experiences that I've had in my life, I've had many lifetimes so far. Mm. So so it's 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 at this point it's and I never really felt like it was about me. Mm. To be honest, I never mm. felt possessive about the music I wrote. Mm. I never felt like the well would run dry. I was never never fearful of of, of not having being able to be creative. And so my goal at this point is to say, what can I do to bring all of these different um, uh, uh, interests mm. that I have I know, together yeah. you, you, you and are focus actually... them on, on one thing, right? And, and make an impact. Yeah. And I can see that you're using because your skills of the musical side and you also say that you created websites and different things uh, technologically. And so you actually combine that too and uh, coming out with this beta program that is uh, hopefully going to change a lot, a lot of people's life. Well, I, I certainly hope so. That's that's the goal is to help people. So the website is uh, it's called Missing Link, right? It's and called and it's it's got kind of an unusual URL, which may change. But uh, but I can be found at uh, chrisboardmancourses.com. And Chris that's Gordon. kind of courses, one word. Yeah, I will get your information. I'll put it on the thumbnail so that yeah. uh, audience can find and, uh, and when I, on that page, I will include a sign-up sheet for the beta program because I need to track information and progress to be able to come up with, with you know, usable data to be able okay. to support yes. or to alter. But yeah, I will I will share that with people. I'm, I'm easily found on LinkedIn or Facebook. Uh, Chris Boardman Media Group.com is my music business website. So you can read uh, a bio and see samples and, and all the rest of that. Okay. Can I ask you, Chris? I, I, yes. yeah, I was uh, obviously uh, wanted to know a bit more. So, how did you heal yourself? I mean, because you went to. Um, the well, that's an interesting question because, because you know, I had, I had started this project before the pandemic. And I spent a lot of time as a writer by myself, so I'm not necessarily uncomfortable being alone. But when I, I reorganized and rethought the, the whole program almost two years ago, and basically, I you know, this has just been my way of coping with things that I didn't understand. You know, drugs and alcohol didn't do it for, for me, or, you know, and I, and I wanted to have a more organic healthy way of dealing with my emotional issues mm. and and so that you know i'm in, in a lot of respects i'm a workaholic mm. and so so when the pandemic hit and i decided to dive into this full speed i wanted to stay attached to the emotional intensity mm. that i was feeling as a ptsd suffering so you so, 
So I just worked. I just I just said, let's go do something new that would engage me intellectually and give me a focus to, in essence, turn pain into purpose. Ah, no, I understand. And that being said, uh, last late last summer, I realized that that my approach was no longer generating the uh, uh, desired result. Mm-hmm. And that that my well that my relationships were starting to suffer by being triggered inadvertently or or my behavior was becoming abnormal within mm-hmm. the in within these relationships. And and so I had a I have a very good friend here in Nashville who runs a video production company. And there was an artist that he works with named Jason Aldean. Mm. And Jason Aldean was on stage Mm. in Las Vegas when a gunman opened up and killed 57 people. Um, And I was, he, this guy is so amazing. His name's Scott Scoville. He offered to pay for therapy for the rest of his crew's life to be able to cope with the tragedy of of that situation. And through him, through Scott, who also developed PTSD as a result of that experience, Mm. uh, uh, I was referred to a a therapist who did EMDR uh, uh, therapy. Mm. And I personally found that to be very, very helpful. Yeah. In terms of isolating what memories were creating the tension and the stress and the discomfort. The trigger, yeah. Yeah. And there's there's something about just about me personally. It's like when you know, uh I've always music has always been my refuge. Mm-hmm. And and the piano has been particularly dominant in, the, in that regard. And a large part of it comes from the fact that I adored my mother. She was a, a wonderful woman, but she tried to put a label on how how in the world did she birth me? Because I kind of got dropped into this family uh, as an artist mm-hmm. in a science household. And so there was a huge disconnect. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I was able to confront her and ask her, says, Mom, whenever you start, whenever you ask me to play, and I was a pretty fancy pianist back in the day, Mm -hmm. you know, and and she said, whenever you ask me to play, you either start talking or you walk out of the room. And that started when I was five years old. Oh, really? And so, so for... Uh, you know, as a five-year-old, you have no way of processing that mm-hmm. kind of rejection. You know, mm-hmm. so so it the piano has been a very private thing for me for mm-hmm. that emotional relief. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the point where I haven't performed in public in over thirty-five years, mm-hmm. or as an outgrowth of that. And so to, you know, to circle back to where we started this particular thread is the act of doing is enough to snap me out of whatever, ever aberrant thought 
Ah, interesting, isn't it? That 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 I may have. So as you you know, as you can see, it's not on the podcast, but there's a keyboard right I behind. Know. Yeah, yeah. And I will I will stop in the middle of the day and just play for five, ten, fifteen minutes mm. as a way of refocusing my attention mm. to something else. Of course. And, and so in, as far as like moving forward, you know, my healing uh, going forward will be will be to have the re- realization that my efforts have helped people. Of course. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And um, yeah, it, as you know, music is um, even for people who are not musically inclined. No, they're not like you, you know. Um, no, no. you know composer you know music is everything to you uh, but even then people still love music either well, of course of yeah, course any and sort of a... sound you know they they would actually uh, have a preference you know even Perfect. like my dad you know uh, he's not into all this pop music doesn't listen sure. to songs all the time but he still prefers some sort of sound you know like he likes machinery he likes his own, uh, tools and stuff so they have something that they like you know auditory right right well see that's the thing is 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 you know i mean I, my friend quincy jones is one of his he's big on cliches and and uh, nicknames, but he says, you know, one of his little cliches that I constantly remind myself is that myself, he says, my self worth is not dependent upon your justification of me. Oh, yes. So you, you take that in my case, the music is something that I do, it is not who I am. Mm-hmm. Right. And wow. and you can and you can relate that to the fact that music has a different meaning in everyone's life. I mean, think about it. Have you gone a day in your life without hearing some sort of music? No. So it's 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 uh, uh, ubiquitous in the world. Yeah, in the world. Yeah. And so so it's it's like I said, and like like we were talking about earlier, you know, it's this convergence of all these different seemingly siloed disparate uh, activities mm. we're moving towards mm. a convergence of all of them into the human experience with yeah, equal value. yeah to equal uh, equal status and mm. respect which you know if you stop to think about it it will it will be an organic process that people will just come to an awareness of mm. that's the right thing to do mm. as opposed to trying to force people to mm. agree with an opinion. Of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, different, I mean, people are just different, isn't it? Now, can I, so, so that was another question I wanted to ask you as well. Uh, you you say that things, when you're beta program, things will be individualized, they choose their music. What about the video side because you on your website you were creating some videos as well yeah well this is a, this is basically a video based course that explains and describes and illustrates how these exercises work 
So it's just a sample. And, and uh, you know, I'm a multimedia producer. So, mm-hmm. so in, in, I cut video, I write film music, I program synthesizers, uh, you know, I write copy, I do all this stuff from a creative wow. standpoint. So it's, so there again, it's kind of like, I have a need to do something. Do I have the money to hire somebody? No. Well, that means if I want to do this, I have to figure out how to do it myself. Mm. And so I've taught myself how to do all these things. And uh, as just because I have this desire to push out this message. Mm. So basically the course is a series. It's four at the moment, but it'll ultimately be six lessons that incorporate uh, different topics, uh, um, and exercises and it'll just be an explanation mm. with a, a company and criteria mm. to be able to encourage people to self-select of course and 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 i you know I, i'm I'd, I'd like to think that i'm an articulate person uh, but i make a point in the dialogue not to talk about the science mm. not to overwhelm people with the the backstory mm. that's that supports the contentions mm. it's more to to try to make it accessible to anyone without being dependent upon language which is mm. uh, or and that is not it's an experiential in nature if you do it this way plug in your own piece of music and do this exercise in terms of breathing in tempo or or a yoga breath adapted to that particular exercise. Yes, yes, I know what you mean. Right. So so it's no longer it, it's just a, oh if I do it like that oh I can change the music oh I can do my own breathing. They understand the concept. Then it, my my hope and goal is that it will become a practice. Yeah. For the individual and a resource. Yeah. For people who don't know where to turn. Yeah, a system like a house exactly. that they, they themselves create from your course and then they can habitualize that and actually follow on from what you've said because I've, I've learned how to work with PTSD patient and mm-hmm. um, in a sense that you can actually use that system to change the trigger. Yes. Yes, or or uh, or be able to be aware of what that trigger is. Yes, and and then and be collapse able to that trigger. It. Well, well, collapse the trigger by saying you know that either you you push it into the past, yeah, or you're aware of this your physical reaction when you are triggered to the extent that this oh I know I'm being triggered right now. Yes, yes, and then have a resource that's in your hand to intervene for you to intervene and then to, for the individual. Wow, I like this. Yeah, because we, we've got different techniques to help this empowering or empowering like an, a substitute or collapsing some of these triggers. So I, I love this because in a sense that you've got an alternative that suits that person uh, that brings on and helps to either change the trigger, are aware of the trigger and also either displace or downplay the trigger. Because if we Correct. can downplay the trigger or change the emotion related to the trigger, you can actually, you know, it's no longer a trauma. You it's will, no you longer will, a... Will you, 
yeah, it will no longer be an instinctual reaction. It That's will right. be a con it will it will move it from the instinctive to a conscious choice. Yeah, and also in a sense, and when you do that, because music has a way to go and reprogram the the unconscious mind. You yes. see that the good thing about music and some of this thing is that it actually goes into the unconscious mind. And, and it can help to reprogram some of this. And the more we do it, we can actually break that circuit. You know, the, the well, I hope so. I mean, that, that, I, yeah, that is that is the hope. And that's why this the idea of of a piece of music that that relates to the individuals in a positive experience. Oh, I love or, this. Oh, even just talking about it, you you're just yeah. telling me I'm feeling excited. And I oh, think I that wonderful. up for the beautiful <laughs> Well, it's yeah, it's it's it basically from a from a uh, um, physical perspective or or a the way your body responds, it mm. does intervene, it does break, and over time, you know, it's like instead of the trigger being negative, it will be positive, hopefully, with enough it, practice. It, uh, it will be positive because it's the intention you see. And yes. the good thing is, and just to add on to what you've said about the yoga breathing, because I know from my own practice and some of the therapy I, I, I give. So what we do is with the breathing, which you already mentioned in your program, because when you you change the breathing uh, system, like, like the habit, it changes the heart rate variability. Mm -hmm. And that has got a real impact on that connection. I'm, I don't know whether you've heard about oh, the heart bad. and brain connection. Yes, yes, yeah. very much so. Yeah, and, very much and so. Also, I mean, if you can, yes, go ahead. Also, I wanted to add on from I've been watching and reading some of your posts as well. You see, and you were putting up a lot of publication and you know some of the um, uh, nature's publication you mentioned about um, the emotional. Um, uh, what do you call it? attachment? Yeah, to a certain memory. So anything that is uh emotionalized, uh, mm -hmm. that memory actually stays longer. I remember you post that one. Yeah, well, it just becomes embedded in your in, in the memory. It's it's all yeah, part of it. You know, I've I've yeah, it's what my belief in um I would be surprised if it wasn't substantiated, is that the brain remembers everything. Mm. It's it's like like a sensory video recorder everything so it remembers everything the question at that point becomes do you allow negative thoughts to deter, dictate your response mm. or do you train yourself to circumvent that to be able to say positive thoughts you know like you know the the notion of gratitude. Mm. You know, it's the Western cultures and the 20th century marketing techniques is all about false scarcity and lack. Mm. And so we are conditioned as from birth, being of this age, that we live in a, a world of lack. Mm. And if you look at cultures that are disassociated with modern media and modern marketing, mm. they don't think about lack mm. in the same way. So, so it's, it's just, a, it's, it's 
changing your point of view to uh, uh, and your experience to focus on gratitude, yeah, and abundance mm. is is to me the, the at least from my experience the the key to unlocking that door to inner peace. Of course, yeah. It, it's an internal journey. It's not something outside. You know, you think about, about you know, people selling products that, you know, snake oil sell, salesmen, for example. You know, <laughs> oh, take my product and, and you're going to feel better. And you're reaching outside of yourself for a solution yeah. as opposed to questioning your inner self mm. as to what is actually going on inside and and uh, and what what is it what is it that i really need so it's it's a training you know thinking living a life of gratitude mm. is is something that you have to work at it's a training it's not and in essence you're going to you know it's it's opposed to a hundred years of marketing practice mm. you know you, you there was an amazing bbc documentary called century of the self Mm. which which uh, described and followed the uh, origins of modern marketing mm. and public relations. And basically, I look at the, you know, basically it's, it's about how to manipulate people to buy more products. Yes, right? yes. I mean, that's, ba- that's in a nutshell. But if you look at human history, mm. the 20th century is an aberration. Mm. Prior to that, Instead of a one-to-many model where you aggregate the news, you aggregate the supplies, you build something, and then you push it out to many. Yeah. Prior to the 20th century, it was all all tribal-based mm. in smaller numbers. Yeah. And so there was a different sense of community mm. and and a, and a way of living mm. that got disrupted by this 20th century marketing machine globalization yeah yeah you know i mean and so what you know back to where we started where where we're sitting at is an inflection point Mm. where where human beings are questioning in a broad sense what is that the way i want to live is that work for me or not and technology is just is is accelerating exponentially the, the demise of that 20th century mindset. Mm, that's right. And it scares people to death. I mean, it scares people because everything they've known to be true is now up for grabs. Right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, but I think they still got a choice to make uh, because it comes down to, to what they want. So again, if they are able to make their own stand, uh, so obviously other people will be pushing you know, different things, yeah. you know, sure. by one thing, their attention, isn't it? Yeah. You know, getting their attention using technology. I think it's their choice, uh, what they want to do eventually. Um, but yeah, I completely agree with you. This, this is where things are going to change and, um, and people need to be aware of it. Yeah. It's, it's that awareness of choice, you know, for the indoctrinated, it, they don't believe that they have it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? So, so it's it's but but the human spirit is curious, mm. and it's and it's you know it's you could probably make a pretty strong argument that 
that model that we've all lived through for the last 120 years Mm. no longer working so humans are saying this isn't working for me i'm not mm. going to survive i need to do something different to survive that's right and so you know in the face of all this i know a lot of people who i mean chat gpt is is all the rage here and it's and i know yeah i've tried and, yeah. And yeah it's it's crazy but but there's a lot of people who are fearful of it mm. and and because it's putting people's livelihood at risk yeah, it's affecting people yeah you don't need in, to in a very like direct that. way and so like i say as i was talking with one of my attorneys you know the time is now mm. now is i've been sitting on this working uh, uh by myself and and preparing across all different sorts of parameters and silos to be able to launch this project I but know. now now is the time because now is the, the time con- man. the conversation is shifting mm, that's good the, you know the conversation is shifting and you know it's like what do the chinese say as i've been uh, uh may you live in interesting times yeah yeah <laughs> it yeah. was a lot it was a lot of years before i realized that that was not necessarily a positive comment mm, it, it can be you can go it can go both ways but but Man, what a fascinating time to be alive! I know it's very it's, just, it's, it's a it's a changing tide. It's a changing tide, and if you're able to ride the tide, it's good for that person. So I think we just have to adapt. Uh, I think given your, well, I think your yes. your this program it is really very suitable, very apt, and I think. Uh, it's going to hopefully take off given that uh, I think you're trying to get some support from other people as well, isn't it? Regarding funding. Oh yeah. Yes, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for funding. I mean, there's a business model attached to this Mm. uh, with, with the intention of making this free. Yeah. So, so, so that there's no barrier to entry for, for the layman. Um, uh and we'll see i mean you know it's it's like this sales mode if you will began in earnest the first of the year so i'm basically through three weeks into to trying to get this thing launched so it it will take some time and there will you know for the naysayers for the skeptics there will have to be data to support the contention Mm -hmm. uh i'm not necessarily that concerned about it Mm -hmm. the data aspect of it because People will respond and share if it's meaningful to them, mm. regardless of of having this stamp of approval uh, from uh, a, some sort of a governing body. Because it's not a physical treatment, it doesn't. Uh, uh, there is no HIPAA restrictions in mm. this country. It's about uh, privacy of medical data. Mm. It's purely uh, uh, personal if you will as opposed and and uh it doesn't the only re- private information required to divulge at least in the beta because i want to go to kids as well as adults is to list your age mm-hmm. and an email address and a username and that can be anything okay and then and that that user information will never be shared so, so for this, how are you going to be able to assess the? Um... I've created an assessment for each exercise. Ah, okay. In in a, in the form of a multiple choice question. Okay. It says, did this exercise 
five, five choices. Uh, and doing some research found that this to be the most effective way to, instead of a yes, no response, to say, did it help you a lot? Did it help you kind of? Were you neutral? Did it not really help you? It didn't help you at all. Okay. And that is that is the the first. That's the only method I have at the moment mm. to uh, assess the results mm. and the progress. Mm. That being said, I, I I'm looking for a clinical partner mm. to be able to run a study, a, a, a clinical a based a, a researcher to be able to to take this and do a control group and 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 co- contrast the control group with people who, you know, that's something that I don't do. That's not my expertise. Mm. So, so yeah, so I'm in, in, um, that's my latest, latest uh, uh, wish list, if you will, mm. you know, of, of things to do. It's on my to-do list. And, you know, the, the other thing that's so, it gives me faith, to keep going mm. with this is well. Let me first say that with the experience of my tonsils when I was three years old. Oh yes, I am well aware that the hand of God has been on my shoulders all my life. Wow, I and and so I don't question it. I just have faith that that if I'm feeling like I'm in tune with what my purpose is. Mm. then the right thing will happen. And in the past two years, it's just been astonishing. When I've said, this is what I need, mm. the right person appears. Wow. It's, I, be- it's, I believe that. It's, yeah, I believe that. It's great. I mean, in, in essence, having this conversation yeah. is, is a result of just putting out into the universe, this is where I'm at. This is, this is what I think is important. Will, and I want to help you. And yeah. through this conversation, hopefully it will will be impactful to your listeners, not to the extent that they sign up to my beta, mm. but but s- stir something in them to rethink their situation and take mm. a different look at how they're doing and what they're doing of based course. on what their emotional needs are. Of course, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I believe, obviously, you know, that our path is directed by God. You know, that is a reason and I can see that uh, if you feel it that way, I'm sure God or universe, whatever you call, uh, it's going to prosper your way and uh, straighten your path um, and bring on the right people and also the right opportunity to make it a success. Well, I, I certainly appreciate that for me personally. I think that holds true for everyone. Yeah. What I've discovered is that most people are afraid to face themselves in that context. Mm. So, so they, they, <clears throat> I remember I was, I was working with a psychotherapist uh, many, many years ago. And there was mm. a moment where, where all of the dysfunction in my path passed. Mm. It was like, I could see it in the next room, but mm. there was a pocket door between me and them, mm. and me and those that situation and those memories. Mm. And it was so overwhelming, the volume of that pain and dysfunction that I had to pull those those pocket doors shut. 
because I just couldn't face it all at once. Mm. And so, so what I've discovered is, is the courage is not saying I'm going to do it. The courage and the strength and the faith is needed to continue down that path because it's not a one and done. No, it's, it, it is a lifestyle. It is a, a practice like a religion, if you will. You know, mm-hmm. I am not a, a a religious person per se, because who am I to discount someone else's belief? That's right. Right. But, you know, these living in the South, you know, uh, prayer and and Christianity are very uh, prevalent. And I've, I've changed my attitude about prayer recently mm-hmm. in that it's it's a mantra. It's not a specific request. It's a practice that centers the person. If they believe in prayer, then saying a prayer uh, based on their religious practices, mm. it will center their thoughts and it will center their being. Mm. So it's like, oh, I get it. All these fears I didn't really quite understand. Mm. But it's it's just a different way of looking at a, a different approach. I'm, uh, of reaching that place of being centered Mm. you know of course like everything else you know god and free will you know there's there's people who will corrupt uh both ways yeah you know whatever their egoistic if you will uh desires all right so anyway that's that's kind of where i'm at at this moment i certainly appreciate the opportunity to have this discussion uh, with you and mm. i appreciate you reaching out yeah i i really uh you know uh enjoy this talk and um and it's so uh so great to have you obviously sharing uh whatever that you've been through on air really uh not many people are willing to be vulnerable you know to talk about that's you know i mean, i got paid to be vulnerable to be honest, you know, I get hired to make music for a film and I'd have to look at the raw footage and try to understand what I was intellectualizing about the story, but also feeling emotionally mm-hmm. while going through that process. The only problem with me in Hollywood was was I always felt like I was being paid to be vulnerable, but I had one foot behind the line so I could dodge all the incoming shrapnel. Yes. So, yes. so, so but, you know, at this point, like I said, I've I've led a blessed life, and and I'm an open book. I'm there's there's no reason for me to be shy or ashamed or fearful of any of this stuff because it's like I said before it's it's I'm I'm going to be 69 years old. Wow, in, Ooh, you're in, too young. Um, in April, and this is it's. It's time to make an impact. It's time to to share all this stuff. Because, you know, I mean, just as an aside, you know, I'm very facile musically. Mm. And for years, Hollywood had no idea what to do with me because I did so many things well. Mm. They couldn't pigeonhole me. Mm. So this is just an opportunity, as I said before, to bring all of these different skills, interests and skills together mm to create a big impact as I possibly can. Wow. Wow. I can feel the passion. 
nice to see your smile. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I can I can feel the passion because I can see that this is your passion project, and you want to give back. And uh, I totally agree with your the way you talk about uh, you know the spirit of gratitude or the attitude of gratitude, you know. And I can feel that you know you're grateful for what you've been through and you have overcame, and now you want others to also get a breakthrough. Well, like I say, that would that would it, my original intent when I started the Missing Link Project was is I'm big on visual metaphors. Mm. And I said, if, if I can change even one person's opinion of the homeless person they see panhandling mm. to instead of avoid yeah. or, or, at, or say what happened to that or what what's wrong with that person, mm. instead to, to ask the question, what happened to that person? What happened to that person? Then, then, the, then it's like a pebble in a pond. That's it. That's it. It, it will spread of its own accord. That impact that you could do to that one person, I think, is that uh, what you? I'm sure you're going to be doing more than that, but I know what you meant. Yeah. So, well, I mean, it, it's all personal. You know, one person is enough because then there will be a residual effect. And you know, just to go back to, I didn't mention my focus is on local communities. Mm. The, uh, the missing link is not a broadcast mm. uh, by the, I mean, it will be broadcast. It will be reach a lot of people, hopefully, but it's, it's intent is to connect people on a local community basis, oh, you right. know, right. So, so it's it, that I believe will have a much greater impact over mm. a longer period of time. Mm. than doing a TV show and mm. you show it once and then you hope it sticks. You know, it's, it's that's not what is needed in the world. Mm. You know, if, if, if I can focus on this one aspect yes. of the dis-ease that we feel cultural, culturally, mm-hmm. then, we, then we can break down the fear and start to have conversation. Mm as opposed to talking at people or recoiling in fear mm. either of what we're not addressing in ourselves yeah or what's going on around us that's right yeah so fantastic thank you well, so much for your time chris that's my it's my pleasure as you can see i have Did a lot I say to say professor chris oh uh, well you can but i never ask my students to, <laughs> Thank you so much, Professor Chris, for uh, giving us this time. And you know what? I will be joining your beta program. um, And I would love to know, uh, you know, to see the results of this. I'll stay in touch. I will stay in touch. I'm sure it's going to be. I'd love to hear you get your feedback. It's going to be doing really well with, you know, flying colors, really. And uh, fingers crossed. Yeah, and I'll be praying for you. You know, my God will supply all your needs. Okay. Oh, there you go. All, all right. right. Well, have a wonderful, uh, wonderful day, and yeah, and, and hopefully we'll talk soon. Yeah, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Chris. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.